You guys can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. And good morning. Everybody smiling this morning? We ought to be smiling this morning. I propose a truce. All right? You ready for my truce? Here's my truce. Listen. All right. I hail, I hail from, the, uh, from the university that dons red and black. All right? And listen, I didn't pick the draw. Okay? I didn't pick that game. All right? Uh, but because of the way things are, here's my, here's my truce. That we just all agree, uh, since there's only clearly one good choice left in the bracket, uh, to all wear red and black today and all get our guns up. Can we do that? Okay. 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 Never mind. Okay. All right. All right. Hostile crowd still. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. I'm sorry about that suggestion. Are you guys okay? Everybody good? Had a good spring break? Is that like you had that? Okay. Everybody good? Do you remember spring break? We just had spring break. Okay, good, good. We are, uh, we're jumping back into things. Now, I'll just warn you, the rest of the semester, this is really weird. I love the tree, but I can't, it's really weird to not be able to see you through the tree. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Okay, y'all are okay. Y'all are good. All right. So Matthew 26 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in Matthew 26, and we're going to be in Exodus 14. All right, we're going to talk about Passover today. So um, listen, if you're not in a life group, find one. Okay, armor bearers, where are you at? Raise your hand, stand up. Just stand up. Let's look at these people. Look at these wonderful people. Life group leaders, join them. Stand up. Life group leaders, if you're a life group leader with them, stand up. Or in a home, Sheila, you can stand up. Sheila Cooey right there, she's a host. Listen, find one of these people today if you're not in a life group and get in a life group. Sit down. Y'all sit down. Nick, sit down. And, uh, and, and ask, where, where, where is a life group? I want to be part of a life group because, listen, we're going to, uh, you're going to celebrate Passover. Some of you have already done it, but you're going to celebrate Passover in your life groups. It's going to be really cool. Um, it's, a, it's a really neat experience. Please find one. I'm going to teach through some of it today, uh, but the, the, the teaching and the participation um, in the Passover meal is, is uh, really impactful. I will never forget the first time that I went through it. I did not know that I didn't connect the dots, that communion that, that I've been partaking in since uh, I was a kid uh, comes directly from Passover. And when I saw the context of communion and what we celebrate um, on a routine basis coming out of Passover and what Passover is and what it meant when Jesus holds up unleavened bread and breaks it and talks about this being himself, I mean, the power in it is incredible. And so the, the whole Passover meal, which is what the disciples uh, we're, we're partaking in with Jesus uh, is really is, is powerful. And uh, so I want you to know where it came from. So you're going to celebrate Passover in your life groups uh, this week. So seriously, even if you haven't been in a life group uh, this semester, this is a great time to start. I uh, really encourage you to jump in. If you have any questions about where or when they are, uh, please let us know so we can get you plugged in. So, all right. So Matthew 26, I already told you that. And Exodus 14, uh, we're going we're gonna to jump back and forth a little bit. Um, so I want to review just real quickly some things that we talked about in, in the fall. In the fall, we did this pretty long series on the cross. We talked about what sin is, and we talked about the uh, royal priesthood. We talked about uh, proper human vocation. I want to review some of those things because they really matter here um, in, the, uh, in the Passover. 
Uh, because Jesus is essentially, he's, it, it matters to us that Jesus says what he says in the context that he says it in. It's important for us to know that Jesus declared salvation in the midst of the Passover, okay? Those things connect. And so um, I want to just remind you of a few things before we jump in because a lot of these things have to do with sin, have to do with human vocation, salvation, the cross, these elements, and I want to review. Okay, so here's just some review. Does anybody know what the, the word sin actually means? It means to, yeah, somebody said it. Where are you at? Oh, John James, what's up? Missing the mark, right? To, to sin, uh, in, in its original language, means to miss the mark, okay? The Bible describes sin, missing the mark, what does that mean? As a failure of worship. We were created to worship God. Instead, we worship what? Self. We glorified self above God. We put ourselves on the throne and we worshiped self above God. So, it's a, so sin is a missing of the mark. What is it? It's a failure of worship. It's worshiping self above God. Sin in the scriptures is also seen. So that's one element of what sin is. Sin is also described in the scriptures as an oppressive demonic force. Okay, so it's this, it, the, the scripture describes sin as a power, a dark, evil power uh, that, that has uh, oppressive power. So here's, here's the deal. When we sin, when we place self on the throne, we're exchanging the God-given power that we're given that comes in connection with him being on the throne. We're exchanging that as we worship self and we're giving that power, we're surrendering ourselves to the power of sin and death. And as a result, we become slaves to sin, okay? So you see where those two things collide? To be a slave to sin is to be enslaved to that, that power that keeps us on the throne. Y'all tracking? That's the problem with humanity, okay? That's the problem that Jesus came to solve is that we have, we have uh, willfully submitted ourselves in worshiping of self. We've submitted ourselves to the power of sin and become slaves to that sin. Now, what were we supposed to be? We talked about uh, we were supposed to be the proper human vocation. God created us to be a royal priesthood okay what does that mean well the priesthood is all about what come on review the priesthood is about what starts with a w ends with worship okay you're like well well what is he saying worship don't get nervous worship right right okay so the the priesthood has to do with worship that's what God created the priesthood for, is worship, okay? So if he calls us a royal priesthood, then we were created to worship. Well, what's this royal part? Royal is, it has to do uh, with power, okay? It has to do with, with ruling. What did he tell Adam and Eve? That they had what? It starts with a D. Dominion, right? God created us to rule, but to rule in submission with him, to steward creation in relationship with him. Y'all good? Okay, so we're supposed to have dominion. That's, that's that royalty, okay? So our, the royal piece of our vocation, like who you were created to be, is you're supposed to reflect God's wisdom and God's justice onto the earth. That's what you're designed to do, is to reflect God's wisdom and his justice throughout the earth and to administer worship back to the creator. That's what it means to be the royal priesthood. 
So as we stand in this position on the earth, the, the way that we deal with people, the way that we do our jobs, the way that we go to school, all of that reflects God's wisdom and his justice all the while in submission to him. We're worshiping him and we're representative of all of creation worshiping God. That's who we were created to be. That was humanity's design. Well, when we chose to worship self above him, you see where that human vocation broke. You see where that broke? Right, Because we're no longer reflecting worship back to God and we're no longer stewarding his wisdom and his justice because we're serving self. Whose justice are we given? Our own. Justice based on what I see justice as. How many of you know that's a broken perspective? Because when we're serving ourselves, our justice is flawed. Our wisdom is flawed. And, and the scripture all throughout says God's wisdom is not man's wisdom. Right, So this is what sin caused. It caused that brokenness of human vocation when we stepped into the worship of self. Okay, So that's what we are. Okay, So it's just some reminder. Because when we step into Passover, Jesus is saying a ton about how he's coming to repair that brokenness. He talks about sin in that context and we'll miss it if we don't know what we're talking about. All right, So why Passover? How many of you, and, and this is cool, I just am curious. How many of you, this is the first time you've ever really even interacted with that word Passover in a church setting. Just some of you, man, that would have been me. I didn't, I didn't until well into my, uh, in, into my adulthood. When does that start, by the way? I don't know. When did I become? Okay, so here's the deal. So here's what we have to, why Passover? Jesus chooses this setting to say this, okay? We're cele- he, he's celebrating Passover. Now, Passover means a tremendous amount in the Jewish community. Okay, Passover has been celebrated, and when did it begin? It started in the book of Exodus. And the command of God was that every single year they're to celebrate Passover. So Passover is deeply ingrained in the Jewish community. Jesus steps into that setting and chooses Passover to say, this is what I'm doing. He uses the Passover to Give them context about what he's doing. So we've got to understand uh, Passover. It's not accidental that Jesus chose to clash with the forces of darkness on Passover. Think about the book of Exodus. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. But where did God clash with the oppressive power over his people in the Passover? It's not an accident that this is where Jesus steps in and goes, this is where I'm taking the fight to this final place against evil and against sin. This is the place where it will happen. It's not an accident that he's doing this on Passover. Jesus himself places the meaning of his death and resurrection in the context of Passover. Jesus believed that just as God had won decisive victory over the powers of Egypt and slavery, God would do it again and overthrow the powers of sin which had enslaved Israel and all mankind. So by Jesus doing what he did, saying what he said at Passover, he's saying God's doing it again. The same thing that you saw in Exodus, the same thing that you celebrate over and over again is happening presently, okay? That's why Jesus chose Passover. All right, so uh, we're gonna look at three elements of the Passover that are really, really, really present that we need to pay attention to as Jesus explains it, all right? The first is victory over evil. The second is the renewal of covenant. And the third is the return of exile and forgiveness of sin. And those two things go together, all right? So those are the three things, victory over evil, covenant renewal, and return from exile and the forgiveness of sin, okay? So 
Let's jump into victory over evil. Go to Exodus chapter 14. Actually, wait a minute. Wait, don't go yet. You're in Matthew. Let's just read real quick, okay? All right. Sorry, I do that all the time. I'm sorry. We're going to read. I just want to give us some context here. All right. We're going to read a a few lengthy passages, but this is one of them, all right? So we're going to start in verse 17 of Matthew 26. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after the other, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. So he's talking about something that's happening in the context of the Passover meal. You guys will get to that in your life groups. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better that that man had he not been born. Verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, okay? So you're gonna go through all of that in your, in your life groups, okay? Super, super important. You're gonna see the context that it happens in, okay? But now I want you to go to Exodus chapter 14. So that's the, that's the snapshot that the gospels give us of the Passover meal. And there's so much there that we're gonna break apart. But the first thing is um, we've gotta understand what has been talked about in the Passover. So again, this is gonna be another lengthy passage. Just hang with me. Exodus 14, verse 10. Now the first element of Passover uh, that we're gonna see here in the original Passover is the crushing of evil, okay? The victory over evil. We'll start in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, okay, wait a minute, let me, let me back up. You understand what's happening. So right now, the, the plagues have all occurred. Pharaoh has finally relented and said, fine, get them out of here. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Uh, out of bondage. Uh, The numbers are staggering. I mean, some scholars believe that we're like in the, over a million people are being let out. I mean, we're talking about massive amounts of people leaving. It's not like a group of 10 that's like, all right, here we go. You know, this is huge, huge stuff. And this group of people um, leaves and, and Pharaoh is sorrowful and frustrated and then that sorrow and frustration turns to anger and he basically says, kill them all. I, this, this, I just said that they're gonna go, but now it's time to go get them. And he, and he releases his armies, his chariots, his horsemen, like go after them, all right? So that's kind of where we're at. When Pharaoh drew near, so he's approaching the people who are on foot, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, this, uh, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we would serve the Egyptians. 
For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. There's so much there, and I'm going to fight all inclination to go chase that rabbit. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. You see it? See, I will, right there, we need to start to notice what's happening here. God is gonna gain glory over what? The victory over evil, the crushing of slavery. God says, I'm gonna get glory in this moment. That's a huge, huge element of Passover. So when Jesus places himself in the midst of Passover, we have to see one of the huge elements of Jesus saying, God is gonna be gloried in my defeat of all evil, okay? Okay, where was I? Somebody tell me. Shout out, I lost it. Oh, you weren't following along if you can't help me. 19, okay. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud uh, and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Keep going, this is intense. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. I think when I was a kid, like I, would, I read that and it was like he just put the staff in the ground and whoop. Like, but this is powerful. You ever been to West Texas, the place where the red and black flies pride? Okay, right? It, it, it's wind, and you, like heavy wind. We had this, of, like, I don't know, when was it? We had, we, like Saturday, Friday and Saturday, we had a lot of wind, and it was like all night. Man, that, just think about this strong east wind all night pushing back the water and the anticipation of this. It didn't just, like, go, all right? Uh, it made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Verse 22. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Jesus stands in the midst of this celebration and tells his disciples and tells us, this is what I'm doing. The Exodus was all about God and his glory and God crushing 
the power of slavery that was over his people and setting them free. Jesus, we have to understand this. Jesus, in these moments, was telling his disciples, I am going to war. This will be the end. This will be the decisive end to the power of sin and evil. I am taking it all on myself. I'm stepping into that place of authority, and I will take down evil. That's what the Exodus was about. That's what Passover is about. And that's what Jesus is saying that he's going to do. Go to Romans chapter eight. You've got to see, I think a lot of times we get this picture of Jesus in these final days as this very meek, mild-mannered man. We look at him going to the cross as, as in a sense, as kind of weakness like just kind of giving up and then having this heroic moment on the cross that he just kind of has his head hung low and, and, is, and is being tortured to his death. Are you in Romans chapter 8? We're going to go there in just a second. Romans chapter 8. That is absolutely not true. Jesus in these final moments is telling his disciples in agony and in, and in, and in courage, he's telling them, I am going to war. Jesus in that statement is not, in, in Passover, he's not this man eating his last meal, sadly telling his disciples, well, this is it, guys. He's telling them about what he's about to do. We have to see Jesus in this moment as a warrior, as a fighter, and he's going to fight on your and my behalf because we couldn't set ourselves free from sin. You and I are slaves to it, just like the Israelites. Even in their moment of victory, we're saying, it would have been better had you just left us. Just let us, what did they say? Let us what? Die in Egypt rather than in the wilderness. That's how twisted and warped their perspective was. And that's how twisted and warped our perspective is when we worship ourselves and when sin has power and dominion over us. And what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's not saying, well, you guys really screwed up, and so I guess I'm gonna take all this sin stuff on me. He's not doing that. He's stepping to the front line and saying, I'm taking the fight to sin's doorstep. I will go and crush this power of evil that you will be set free. He's a warrior in this moment. We must see the strength that it takes for him to stand into this moment in history. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Do you hear it? He condemned sin in the flesh. God and uh, in Jesus took the fight to sin's doorstep and on the cross won a decisive victory over evil. But that's not the only element of Passover. The second element of Passover is covenant renewal. What did he say in Matthew chapter six? A new what? He talked about a new covenant. There's a, some of you have like the C, but it's like, I'm not gonna say it out loud because sometimes he tricks us. Covenant. A new covenant in my What are they drinking? Okay, new covenant in my, okay. Hey guys, let's get a little confidence. <laughs> All right, if you think you got an answer, shout it out. I won't know who said it. I'm not gonna make you stand up and go, hey, you with the wrong answer. I, just come on, <laughs> come on. All right, so this is also about covenant. So 
three things we're looking at, okay? And they all go together. Don't, don't think that the cross is about one of these things. It's about all of them, okay? So the first is at the cross and in Passover, Jesus is declaring a decisive victory over evil. The second is that he's talking about a renewal of covenant. Go to Exodus chapter 24. You're going to get good at going from the Old to the New Testament, all right? Exodus 24. Now, he says a new covenant made in my blood. This has always messed us up. They mess the disciples up. It messes us up. Like, what do you mean in my blood? And we, and we think that a lot of times um, that this is blood of sacrifice. And when we think of sacrifice, we think of it like the sacrifice of, of animals because what they were doing was that they were putting their sin onto, that they were killing the animals in the place of humanity. Okay, so in, in, the, in temple worship, they were, they, were, they were creating sacrifice and they were shedding blood in place of their sin. That is an element of what that sacrifice entailed. But I want to show you something here that, uh, that is also there that I think we ignore a lot. Okay, so Exodus 24. This is after that, uh, the Exodus, okay? This is after uh, that has occurred. And what God is doing is now God's got his people and he's telling them, okay, now it's time for covenant, all right? So they're going to make covenant with God. And, th and that's what's happening here, okay? So Exodus 24, look at verse 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Excuse me. <laughs> I got to tell you a story. <laughs> Pause right there. Um, when I was going through that wonderful stage of puberty, right? You, everybody like, right? You remember that? Like, did he just say that? That's really weird in church, Okay. Um, I played basketball, and uh, I was a freshman, and we all had study hall together, the, the freshman team, the junior varsity team, and the varsity team. I went to a really big school, so there's lots of people, and uh, we all had to sit in the bleachers, and anybody know that a gym, like, carries voices? Okay, here comes Kendall, all right? So um, I was walking from one end of the gym to the other, and study hall had just ended, the bell had just rung, and I turned to some of my, some of my buddies, and it was still like super quiet, it was study hall, and, uh, and I turned and I was like, guys, like, <laughs> like then it had just ended, <laughs> and then I fell over and died, because that was the moment, <laughs> I heard my voice, and I heard it like hit every corner of the gym, <laughs> and the whole, like, and man, as a freshman, it's like, that's the last thing you need to happen, and that story got told a bunch, but anyway, I was like, God. <laughs> okay. All right, y'all good? All right. So if I do that, it just it just brings me back to those embarrassing days. Anybody ever had an embarrassing moment before? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. All right, y'all smile. All right, here's the deal. So they're making covenant, all right? You tracking? Let's go to verse 5. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. 
And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Here's the deal. We can't just see that we're going, okay, wait, this is, this is crazy. But here's what he does. So he's, they, they make sacrifice. And it says he puts half in basins and the, for, for later worship. He spreads half of it on the altar. What is happening at the altar? What, what was the altar seen as? A place of sacrifice and purification of sin for what? For what purpose? Starts with a W, ends in worship. <laughs> yeah, you see, so... So sacrifice wasn't just the only thing. They didn't, sacri- they didn't just create sacrifice just because the people had messed up, so now we have to sacrifice. Sacrifice was also, it included in this sacrifice was purification and worship, okay? And so he spreads it on the altar, and then he throws blood on the people, and we go, what in the world? Why is that happening? And it was, the, it was blood of these animals was seen as the laying down of life for the purpose of purification and worship. Okay, we have in our, in our minds really fixed that Jesus died as punishment, like God punished Jesus because he didn't want to punish us, and that's why he had to bleed and die, and that's a, that's, it's not right. That's a small, 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 small piece of this. It's purification. It's to purify our, the, the, this vessel of ours and rid us of sin for the place of worship, okay? So we have to understand that, and what Jesus is saying is, I'm making a covenant with you in my blood so that you will step in into your proper vocation. Why did he make covenant with the children of Israel? So that they would what? Worship him and follow his lead and be his people amongst the nations for the blessing of the nations. That's what he told Abraham when he made covenant with Abraham. You remember? It's the same thing. He said, I'm gonna bless you so that you'll be a blessing to the nations. He's making covenant with his people, purifying them for worship, making covenant with them in his blood so that they would worship him and be his people on the earth. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing the same thing. I'm making a covenant covenant, a new covenant with you in my blood so that you'll be purified for what? Worship. This is about worship. He's not purifying us with his blood. He's not making covenant with us in his blood so that we can just say, well, Jesus just forgot about all the bad things I did. He just absorbed them on the cross. That's not right. That's too small. Yes, there's purification and sacrifice in it. But it's so that you'd be cleansed to be who God has created you to be. It's so that you would worship. And Jesus is speaking to them. See, understand this. In a Jewish context, in the Passover, they know that the exodus was for the purpose of covenant. They know that God rescued them so that God could establish covenant with them. Now, there's a problem here, and we're going to talk about that as the third element. The problem is sin and exile. Because where's Jesus saying this? Is he saying this with a Jewish government? No. Who's the ruling authority? Rome. And how long has it been since there's been a united Jewish people? Long time. There's 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament before before John the Baptist utters a word. 400 years. And in 400 years, they've been, in, uh, they've been spread all over the earth. The Babylonian exile, when, when the Babylonians came and captured the Jewish people and spread them all over the earth, they have not been regathered since. There he is again. <laughs> that ninth grader. Oh. <clears throat> now it's totally distracting you. Someone try not to do that anymore. All right. 
So here's the deal. So this brings us to our last problem. Y'all good? All right, we, can we make it? We've got just a few minutes to tackle this last deal, all right? So Jesus says, I'm making a new covenant with you. The problem is that there's an issue that must be addressed in the present time. And that problem is dispersion. See, in the Exodus, God, in Passover, um, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out as a people. Y'all remember? He brought them out as a people and established a covenant with them as a people. It was only in disobedience following that bringing them out as a nation that they were spread out, right? You tracking? So we, if you read really from Exodus on, you're gonna look at, uh, at disobedience and consequence of disobedience. Ultimate consequence of sin and disobedience is exile, okay? When in, in the biblical mindset, when you talk about sin and the forgiveness of sin, they did not hear sin as the bad behavior that we've done, okay? That, a, a Jewish mindset's gonna read this and they go, okay, sin is a failure of worship, like what we've talked about. That's why we had to reestablish that last semester. The, what is the punishment for that sin? We say hell, right? That's a very Western understanding, like, okay, okay, hell. I'm not saying hell's not real, don't, don't hear, okay, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, the Jewish people would have never heard forgiveness of sin and thought, oh good, we're not going to hell. We're going to heaven. That's not, a, that's not biblical, okay? That's not, that's not there for them. What they would have heard, forgiveness of sin for them, the promise of scripture, what all the prophets said is that when, for, when sin was forgiven, the people would return from exile. It's a regathering because exile is a punishment of sin. Now I wanna say this very clearly again. I'm not saying that heaven and hell aren't real. We're not stepping into that. All I'm saying is they wouldn't have heard it in the mindset that we talk about it all the time. Biblically speaking, the forgiveness of sin meant the return from exile, okay? So when, Je so when Jesus says this, in the context of Roman rule, he says, go to Matthew 26 again. I want you to, I want you to see it. He says, drink of it, all of you. This is the end of verse 27. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So all of these ideas that we've been talking about, they all collide here. The forgiveness of sins. So this is Jesus' final clash with the power of sin. The forgiveness of sin means the overthrow of that power over us. For us, we gotta, we gotta read in here. This is Jesus' defeat of that power of the worship of self. He's gonna clash with evil at the cross and he's saying, he's using the Passover to say, this is what I'm doing. And then as I do it, I'm gonna make a new covenant with you in my blood to establish you again as worshipers. Not, not, I'm not going around it. I'm gonna make this covenant in my blood so that you'll be purified and cleansed for your proper vocation to worship and it will include the forgiveness of sin. So what does this return from exile and the forgiveness of sin mean for, for, for us? Think about this. I'm just gonna read a few things. I wrote these down. The first Passover freed them from the tyranny of Egypt and established them as a covenant nation before God. Jesus declares that this Passover will be the freedom from sin and the establishing of a new covenant in his blood 
for the establishing of a kingdom people through the forgiveness of sin, the return of exile. What happens at the cross? What does this new covenant allow for? All of a sudden, what was once just Israel's, now through Israel's Messiah becomes available to all nations. This is massive that we see this. So this return from exile is seen as beginning, as this moment. Now death is defeated, a covenant is made, and now God in his kingdom is calling all nations to come and worship him. That was not possible before the second Passover. It was not possible for us as Gentiles to step into the worship of God. This moment of Jesus on the cross had to happen. It had to be for us as Gentiles. It had to be through the, through the Messiah of Israel that we were brought in. And what Jesus is doing is he's declaring this return from exile because the power of sin is broken and now all are called under his name. Whether Jew or Gentile, through the Messiah, all have been called under his name. And Jesus is establishing the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And guess what? In the kingdom, all are welcome to step into the forgiveness of sin because of the way that Jesus defeated the power of sin and evil. Come on. Do you... Do you see the implications of that for you and for me? Do you see the implications of that for the way that we preach the gospel, for the way that we share what Christ has done? He has not just stepped in and said, you know what, you guys are really bad behaving people. I'm gonna forgive you that bad behavior and you're gonna get to go to heaven someday. We have to stop preaching that gospel. It's not what's in this book. What Jesus has done is Jesus has come as the righteous servant of Israel, sent by God, is God in the flesh, took on sin. And it doesn't just mean that he wore it so that God could beat him up for it. It means that he took on sin, meaning he came toe-to-toe with it. The power of sin is death, and Jesus came and overcame death. He rose from the grave. He took the fight to sin's doorstep and won. And in that set you free. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to worship self anymore. That power that you were so enslaved by is broken. And in him, you get to step into it and be free. Free to what? Free to be who God has created you to be. Free to worship. Free to reflect God's wisdom and his justice on the earth. Free to be a a minister of reconciliation. Free to bring the peace of the good news of Jesus Christ in every single area of your life. You're free. And you're not just free, like, just to wander. You're free and you're in covenant relationship with the king of kings. You are his. And as he establishes a new heaven and a new earth, as the scripture promises that the kingdom of heaven is coming on the earth, and you get to be a part of it, of endless praise and worship of the one who purchased us from the pit of hell. We get to forever worship him in this new vocation covered by his blood, worshiping eternally. Come on. You think it might, like, change a little bit the way that we share the gospel? Maybe it might add a little fire to your gut. Maybe, maybe it would take away some of what I think is just kind of this, like, well, maybe this Jesus message is a little antiquated, and I'm not really sure how to dress it up enough to make people like it. You know what I'm saying? 
because Jesus is kind of this weak guy and all he does is like just forgive us the bad things you do. See, you do bad things and you should, you're going to go to hell for it, so you should stop doing those bad things and Jesus kind of like makes that happen. You, you, like, no thanks. <laughs> right? That's not the story. The story, the reality, the truth is so much more powerful than that. So much more. We serve a warrior king who destroyed that power that kept you from him. Think about the ferociousness of that love. I was reading in the news yesterday, and I'll finish with this. I was reading in the news yesterday about this um, awful hostage situation. And, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know all the details. I was trying to read all the details and, and understand it all. But this crazy guy takes, uh, in, in France, takes a bunch of people hostage in a supermarket. And he's already killed a few people. Um, he's, he's obviously dangerous and like freaking out. And this guy, this French police officer takes the place of one of the hostages. He just goes, I'll, I'll go. Voluntarily gives up his weapon because this apparently is part of the negotiation. I don't know, you have to read the story, but goes in totally weaponless to trade places with a stranger. And he's killed for it. The guy kills him. That stranger walks out alive. That person he didn't know walks out alive. And you read that kind of thing and you go, what sort of love is in a man that drives him to heroic acts like that? And then you think about Jesus. You think about what kind of love is in a God that would take on in himself, take on the power of sin and death. What kind of love is in a God that would step in for a humanity that has said, nope, I'd rather worship me. I'd rather be on the throne. What kind of love is in a God that would step in and go, I know that that's just a warped and twisted viewpoint. I know I created you for more. I know I created you for worship. And I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna take on what you have submitted yourself to. That hostage didn't submit themselves to that. That man took them by force. We submitted ourselves over to the power of sin. And yet Jesus stepped in and said, nope, it doesn't matter. My love is big enough for you that I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna take the fight to sin's doorstep. I'm gonna destroy it. I'm going to go to the pit of hell and be raised for you. What, what kind of love must that be? What kind of purpose might you have? What kind of value might you have if God would go to that extent on my behalf, on your behalf? Where might we stand in the heart of God if that's what he poured out for us? Anybody? That's the message we carry. That's what's happened for you. That's what Passover is. Jesus stepped into Passover and said, God's doing it again. And this time it's a new covenant for all the earth. And that's you and me. I hope that as you participate in Passover, that you just go, here's what I hope you do a lot. Wow. <laughs> That's what I hope you do a lot. Everybody with me? Wow. Like two people. They're like, he didn't really mean that, did he? All right. <laughs> I did. Let's pray. God, thank you for, man, thank you that you're a warrior king. Goodness, I need to hear that, man. I need to hear that. My heart is so stirred by the fact that, God, you came and fought for me. 
You came and fought with me in your heart. You stepped into the greatest battle of all time. You were beaten and bruised. Your life was poured out because you're a warrior and because you love me. And you did all that with me in your heart so that I would worship you. And God, I pray that that is the gospel that we receive. Man, I pray, God, if there's anybody in here who hasn't, who, ha- who hasn't surrendered their life to you, that they would see the power of your great love, that they would see what's been poured out for them, that they would see the free offer of grace, that today the offer is, would you just believe, would you just repent and believe, would you just come to me and let me give you what I've already paid for? I pray that there would be surrender in this room this morning, that somebody might go, yes, it's me. It's time to turn my life over to you, Jesus. You have fought and won with your great love. You can have all of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Free me from myself that I might worship you for eternity. And God, I pray that you would just put a fire in our gut just put a fire deep in us to share that message that you have won, that you have established a new covenant and your invitation is to all the nations. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen to me. You're traveling on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe. Be careful, okay? Be careful. Travel safe, all right? I love you. We'll see you next week or the week after. You're dismissed.